Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where they've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else, and then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with Mm. other women and Mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. It's Cindy Howes. I host the podcast. Thanks for being here. Before we get into our guest today, Ruthie Foster, let's talk about ways that we can stay in touch. Uh, We would love for you to sign up for our monthly newsletter at basicfolk.com. That's also where if you love us, L-U-V, love us, you can become a contributing member and help make this thing roll along. You can give $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever works at basicfolk.com slash donate. And you can follow us on social media at basicfolkpod. Ruthie Foster, originally from a small town, Gauze, Texas, Ruthie came from a family of gospel singers. Singing gospel music acted as a prime method of communication in her life, strongly enough that it ended up being her career. Along the way, Ruthie studied audio engineering in college, which ended up giving her invaluable knowledge to support her artistic expression, especially as a woman in a male-dominated field. She quit music for about a year and joined the Navy, wanting to do something other than music. In the Navy, stationed in San Diego, she worked around helicopters, giving her even more of a technical mindset. While in the Navy, she also learned how to be chill AF, thanks to her recruiting officer who led by example and taught foster and fellow recruits how to relax in their work. One aspect of Ruthie's story that blows my mind is her time in New York City. In the post-Tracy Chapman era, she was swept up and signed by a major label looking for the next Chapman carbon copy. During her years with Atlantic, Ruthie took the time to learn how to be a songwriter and performer while never recording a single thing. It was a genius move and gave her invaluable education for a young musician. She moved back to Texas to be with her ailing mother to spend the remaining years of her life together. Ruthie Foster is an impressive artist and person who has learned the lesson of where to be and when to be there. Of her new album, Healing Time, she says, there's always time for healing if you give it time. Enjoy Ruthie Foster. Love this lady. Okay, we're going to check out the song Paradise from the new album Healing Time, and then we'll get to our conversation with Ruthie Foster on Basic Folk.
Let's get into this. I have done some intense research on you. So some of my questions might be like pretty long. So please bear okay. with me. And if we hit it, if we hit a question you don't want to answer, just let me know. Oh, I'm sure that'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> I ain't scared. <laughs> Originally, you're from Gauze, Texas, which is a small town. And you came from a family of gospel singers your grandparents, your mom, your aunts, your cousins, everyone around you was singing gospel in the church. And it also seems like a prime method of communication for you and your family, which you have then translated into your career. So can you talk about music as communication for you and how gospel and thinking about it as a communicator served you well as one of the first styles of music you sang, like how it connected you to family, friends, and community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my first awareness of myself, I guess you you can call it, is, was through music and, and uh, becoming aware of what music does to you, how it moves you emotionally, was through gospel music in the, in the church. I still remember being a small girl sitting on the front pew and uh, how... My, when my uncle would sing solos, my uncle Sonny, how it would make me feel, you know, and how it would just basically just tear the church up, you know, it one of those things. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm looking around me and everyone else is feeling that, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the that's my earliest memory of what music does to you. It, it's it's a vibration, if anything, mm-hmm. and uh, that was through gospel music, and then later on through blues music. My dad was a huge blues, it is a huge blues fan and listens to a lot of blues and got me into Lightning Hopkins and Howlin' Wolf and uh, later on B.B. Uh, King. And uh, later on, I actually got a chance to open for B.B. King. So that was like a full circle moment oh, for me to get a not chance. Not bad. I know, right? To get a chance to open <laughs> for B.B. King. So... Um, yeah, music's been a huge part of my just becoming aware of myself and mm-hmm. and 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 how it just moves through you. Yeah. Uh, one more question about gospel. So you talk about it as more as a feeling than any anything else. It's not just a religious thing. Right. There is a spiritual side you feel connected to. So for you, what was what is the difference between religious and spiritual, and how does that translate? 
into your writing and into your music? Mm, really good question. Yeah, for me, gospel music is, is more about, it just reminds you that music is about experiencing it. It's about feeling it. And religion is, to me, it's, it's more, um, it's almost, almost more in a box than, than I, I prefer to be. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, <laughs> and I grew up, I grew up a uh, Baptist, um, missionary Baptist on top of that. So it was pretty, my, my church was pretty, um, not necessarily, it wasn't sterile when it comes to churches. You know, we had the sisters in the amen corner that would shake things up and, and, uh, and great gospel choirs that would come in and out, including ours. But it wasn't until I went to other churches that I realized, oh, these guys are like using drum sets and full on rhythm section. And you've got this sister running up and down the aisle and another <laughs> sister behind her with a wig trying to get the wig back on. You know, it was <laughs> it was a full, you know, spectacle. And here I was, this little girl that was brought in to sing her little songs on, on the guitar. It was a whole new mm. experience for me, seeing that side mm. of what religion does, uh, what, what, what religion is to, to music. So, yeah, it's more of spiritual for me. It's, it's why I, I still do songs in my show that lean more towards just uh, connecting in a broader way more universal way mm. than, than a deity. And that's pretty much how I live my life, too. You spent a lot of time with your grandparents. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a single mom working to support you and your siblings. And I've heard you talking about your many cousins. What is there, like 20-something cousins tw growing 22 up? 22 growing up, yeah. 22. Yeah. Um, it seemed like they were a really big influence on you, especially your girl cousins. How do you think they informed who you are today? Oh, <laughs> they, they have so much to do with my, who I am today. Really, really so much. I had a cousin to visit me on one of my shows over the weekend. And uh, mm. Belinda is her name. And she was one of the, you know, the older cool cousins, you know, that teach you how to dance and teach you about the styles and how to do your hair. And this is what we're wearing now. You know, um, and she she brought up, she says, you know, Ruthie, Ruthie, she calls me Ruthie. You know, Ruth, you remember I used to tell everybody when I was babysitting you all, y'all shut up. Ruthie's going to sing. Ruthie, sing something. <laughs> you know, even when I didn't even know that that was something I, you know, I would just carry the guitar around for the longest time. I didn't really sing. I yeah. just like playing the guitar. But she would make mm -hmm. me sing. She said, Roti, mm. you're not just going to play. Sing something. So, yeah, <laughs> my older cousins have a lot to do with uh, my really getting into, into my, coming into my own musically. Mm. They encourage that. And they're all great singers still. Mm. Yeah. On your new album, you are mostly focused on singing. And as I understand it, when you first started as a young girl, you were just kind of talking about this, alluding to the fact that you were focused on being an instrumentalist. You were too shy to sing, mm -hmm. um, first p on piano and then on guitar. How has it been to hone in on your singing this time around on this record? And how do you, and how do you relate to that instrumentalist that was too shy to sing? 
I, I think I relate to that instrumentalist Two Shot is saying by treating my voice as an instrument. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an instrument. Uh, that's what my voice teacher uh, through music school always, um, and she instilled into me. And also, um, Odette, oh, I, I met Odetta early on, and she would tell me the same thing, treat yourself well, because you, you're walking around with this, this very valuable instrument. And uh, mm. that, that's, basically, that's basically it. I try to, be, try to be good to myself. You know, like tonight is my bath night, no matter what, you know. This is the day of the week that no matter what, even if I don't, I don't feel like it, just go run the water and see what happens. <laughs> you know? yeah. Self-care really is like huge. It's huge for me now. It wasn't always. But mm. as I get out here and play more and become wiser, I'll say, uh, <laughs> you have to learn how to be more gentle with yourself in, in so many ways. Mm. And uh, that's huge for me. Instrumentalist to singing girl. I do love going back and forth, too, just playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Growing up, you were discovering singer-songwriters like Phoebe Snow and Janice Ian in a time where it was rare to see women playing guitar. That was your experience. Um, And you said, I came from a world where men play guitar, even in churches. When the groups would come by, you didn't see very many women playing guitar at all where I lived. In thinking about this, what was it like for you when you would play guitar as a young kid? Because you started playing guitar when you were like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, And do you think that the foundation of being the rare girl to play guitar impacted you at all in your confidence or ability? Wow, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. That's an awesome question. You are asking incredible questions. (laughs) I Thank thought you. this was going to be easy. You got me thinking. <laughs> you know, it makes me really think back because, you know, it's been so long ago. I, I think maybe I didn't think about it, but I just did. But looking back at it, you know, I was this 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way up to 18-year-old being invited to these churches and community events in the area, in the county here in uh, Central Texas, I think it was because I, it was rare. Uh, you know, I, I just walked around with this guitar all the time. I didn't have a case for it. I just walked around with this little guitar playing all Risky. the time. Risky business. <laughs> yeah, it had a lot, lot, of, lot of scratches, a lot, a lot of scratches, but um, still played, which is why I can play anything now, you know. Mm. Yeah, I have. I got my tetanus, tetanus shot. I'm good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I just never really thought about it. I guess that's one one of the things. It was just a rarity. I was invited to white churches uh, within the white. It got me into the white community. You know, I grew up mm. in an all black community, even in a small town, 500 people, very segregated. And I grew up in a what was called the black side of town, the black side of the railroad tracks, and. Uh, to be invited into these these white churches was a pretty big deal. And I didn't think much of it because it was, to me, it just gave me a chance to play. Oh, I get to go play over here now. Well, I've walked past that church a million times, so now I get to go in and see what it looks like. 
And they might let me play piano, too. To me, it was just about playing music at that time, yeah. especially at that age, you know, 12. And I'm thinking, wow, so I'm going to go see what their piano sounds like, you know? It's almost like uh, it's because, like, nobody told you that you couldn't, you know, because of people like Odetta and Janice Ian and Phoebe Snow just did it, defied odds. And then now the generation that comes up after you doesn't have that experience because they've seen women playing guitars. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. Progress. Yeah, it is progress, yeah. right? Uh, after high school, you went to community college in Waco and studied audio engineering and commercial music yep. in college. And um, I feel like I'm setting myself up for for an earful, but I want to hear about um, how that experience of coming at music from a commercial or capitalistic perspective might impact you as a musician or I, or how it might impact your sound. I don't know if it, you know, the, it's called a commercial music uh, program, but it was about everything. You know, it was just about learning how to write and arrange for big band to uh, jazz bands. And to me, it was just a, an opportunity to learn the business side of music as well as being a musician. Mm. I use everything that I learned in that program. Uh, music business, we had music business handbooks that were basically written by management, people who were in management. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was like a little Berkeley right here in, the, in Central Texas. Uh, That's cool. In Waco, Waco, Texas, Whew, of all places, there's this little, there's this little light called the commercial, the commercial music department at uh, McLennan Community College. And uh, I heard about this on the news. Uh, I was watching the news one day and they had just opened this program. And I said to my mother, I'm going there. And I did. Mm. She didn't particularly care for that, but because she wanted to see me do, you know, other things. Music was something you fall back on. But I knew uh, I knew it was going to be more than that. And I picked the right yeah. place to do that. I learned about how to, even how to tour. Um, and really, you know, how to, how to manage your money. Um, not just sightseeing and ear training, but just all aspects of um, mm. all of the things that go on when you're running a band. You learn all of that. I'm using everything I learned in those classes today. Audio engineering, how to set up my own sound, how to even speak the same language as a sound person to get what you need mm-hmm. out of your sound. All of that I learned there and still learning. This question kind of ties into that. So you left music, you quit for about a year. Mm-hmm. You joined the Navy um, wanting to do something other than music and in the Navy, you were stationed in San Diego where you worked on helicopters. Yeah. Um, basically put together helicopters and you really enjoyed it. You also studied communications and you worked as a camera operator and a producer at a TV station. So can you expand more on how having all that technical background comes in handy in music? Yeah, way handy, even today. <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> you know, my, my tour manager is also my audio. She's our uh, sound person. 
sound goddess. So we have great conversations when we're on the road because she knows I, I speak the jargon. I, I know what she's talking about when she's thinking about getting another piece of equipment and what she wants to do with it. And, and knowing that that's only going to enhance our show, you know. Um, your question, though. Basically, your question is, how is it influencing? How, is, how does it influence? How does it come in handy? You know, the sound man tells you to get right up on that microphone. You tell him to F off because you put together helicopters. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never, I've never come back with that one. I'm going to have to use that one. <laughs> free, free material. Oh, I love that. I've come close to that with a, with a sound guy, but never that. That is great. Um, yeah, the closest I, I've ever come to uh, letting a sound, sound guy know that I know what I'm doing um, was basically explaining to this guy that I knew the difference between uh, shore microphones, you know, the 58, the 57, and the, um, what is it, the, um, what's the 58 with the blue ring around it? Because it's, oh. it's a different pickup pattern. There's like an H in it or something. Yeah. Let me look it up real quick. And sometimes these guys would try to pass them off on you by changing the, the ball. You know, they change the, the cover on the mics. But I know the difference because I've sung on 58s forever. And I know how 58A. to... 58A. Yeah, yeah. I know how to use a microphone. I know how to use a 58. And yeah, you have the proximity effect when you get right in on the microphone and you want to sound really sexy. And it really, <laughs> and it works. I don't know if it works with an SM7 I have here, but, um, but, you know, I know what I'm doing. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that, that, yeah, there are times that I'll have to, I'll have to pull that out. Not so much anymore because I travel with my own sound goddess and she, sure. she's really great about even having me experiment with different microphones. So mm. that's really fun. That's awesome. More about the Navy. You said, I can still remember my rec recruiter, Gail Chandler. Yeah. It was the one office where everyone seemed relaxed. Officer Chandler introduced me on how to chill and get paid for it, too. So I want to know more about how did they teach you that and how has that lesson of learning to chill and relax stayed with you? Well, well I, you know, I'm kind of a chill person anyway. Um, I'm that friend you call when you, you, you're upset about something and you, and you, you don't want to go to your person yet. So you call me, I'm that, I'm that call. So, um, yeah, Gail, the Petty Officer Gail Chandler, it was the only recruitment office, because you know they have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, they're always right next to each other, the, off, the recruitment offices. And, um, yeah, he had his feet up on the desk and he was reading a paper, and I just said, oh, this is the place for me right here. Um that was just something, you know, you, I just learned to pick up, too. You know, not to work, you know, to work, but don't work too hard. <laughs> we call it skating back in, the, in boot camp. You know, you learn mm -hmm. how to skate. You know, you have the, uh, especially when we, uh, we had to buff out the floor and it was buffer time. 
You know, I, people were fighting over who could, who was going to run the buffer, but because, you know, people who don't know how to work a buffer, you're, you're fighting it the entire time. But if you just chill and let, you know, let the sucker do what it needs to do, it's the easiest work ever. Well, you know, that's good advice. <laughs> I'm always, I think my wife is always telling me like, don't pull on the dog, like when the dog's pulling, like don't pull her back. Yeah. Just gotta relax. I'm like a chill person, but it's a facade because it's like I'm like a anxious chill person. <laughs> on the so inside, there's a storm. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot going on. It's like a like a bee hive <laughs> inside. <laughs> That's cool. Maybe yeah, maybe I'll join the navy. Yeah, it seems like a like a chill fun time. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't have a super awesome question about your time in New York. Um, you moved to New York and you got a recording and development deal with Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And I heard you talking, this was a few years ago, you were on the Pods and Sods podcast talking about how major labels at the time were sweeping the industries looking for like the next Tracy Chapman. Mm -hmm. And I just maybe just want to hand it to you that you saw through the razzle dazzle of all of that. And thanks to some great advice from your lawyer, you're just kind of like, rode the wave Atlantic offered mm -hmm. by learning how to write, learning how to perform in New York City for three straight years, developing your own musical voice and using their logos on your headshots to get a foot in the door in places. And you actually never recorded for them, which nope. is like amazing foresight and like way to work the system. So I guess like the the question I have is like, was there really never any pressure to record or were you able to float under their radar? Oh, there was some some pressure to record, but um, they were pretty busy. You know, they had in excess that just signed them. My VP, Craig Kalman, he was given all of these new acts. You know, there were a lot of successful uh, acts that were out at the time. Phil Collins was huge during that period. Early, early 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they were pretty busy. So yeah, I got a, I got a chance to fly <laughs> under the radar. Pretty, I got the chill, you know? Yeah. But I still had, you know, I had, I had access to the rock, you know, getting past this secretary to the other secretary and getting up to, you know, 56th floor and actually, you know, getting a chance to sit on the, sit on the same couch, you know? As a lot of these uh, these acts these acts will be coming out, and I'm I'm walking in with my cassette tape and my backpack and my guitar. Yeah, it was a good time though. I I learned a lot. I just use it as a learning experience more than mm. anything, and a chance to really be in one of the greatest cities in the world. New York is just awesome. Yeah, you know, it's got I had I have a love hate relationship with that city. I lived in Passaic, I lived in New Jersey, and I would just catch mm -hmm. the PATH train back and forth. So I didn't have to be in it all the time, 24-7, unless I chose mm -hmm. to. And there were times I did choose to be there for days at a time. My husband didn't particularly, my husband at the time, that says it all, didn't care for it. But those were opportunities, again, you know, here's an opportunity. I, I just wrote with this guy all day who writes for Taylor Dane, Cindy Lauper, got a chance to write with these guys all day, drink coffee, eat tuna fish sandwiches, you know, just have fun. And then, you know, it's six o'clock and uh, Saturday Night Live, they just finish taping. And so their guests usually end up over at this 
bar, this place where there's live music and Jimmy Vivino's playing with the Black Italians over there. Jimmy, who's, you know, the music uh, coordinator for Co- uh, Conan, Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. At the time, he had the hottest band ever just off Times Square. And so I would go over there at six o'clock and catch him. And uh, in walks, walks uh, about 10 o'clock when it's almost closing time, Chris Farley walks in. And then Martin Short walks in and whoever the guest was for Saturday Night Live walks in and it's time to close the place. So the doors closed and it's a private party. So you end up hanging out and partying and singing background vocals for Chris Farley while he's singing Mustang Sally. This would go on like every other Saturday night. So it was about the experience, you know, and I wasn't giving that up. I had to give up the marriage eventually because of it, but you know, some things are some things last, some things, you know. Mm. That's when I realized, okay, well, maybe I'm not I'm not that that into men anyway. Actually, I am, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> okay, no problem. A lot <laughs> of experimenting. Day, next, a lot yeah. of experimenting went on yeah. during this period, but yeah, it was really sure. just a fun, fun time, and I I, I worked. You know, I have a really high work ethic. And uh, as far as writing songs, I always found myself, you know, just have it, find a way to have lunch with somebody and learn something. So, uh, and I think that's what I use now. You know, a lot of those lessons I learned in New York, I use every day, mm. just being disciplined about my writing. You moved back to Texas uh, in the early 90s after your New York time um, to spend yeah. time with your mom who had yeah. been ill. It was the right choice for you. It all came down to family and spending the last years of her life together. And you talk about now how you take your mom with you everywhere you go, you feel mm-hmm. her everywhere. How did those last three years with her help make you a better person, make you a better writer and musician? I think she made me all of those things, better writer, better musician, better person, by showing me who she was. Uh, I, I had a chance to really just sit and listen to my mother's story as a woman, woman to woman. And mm. I don't think there, there aren't very many people who get that. I've talked to friends of mine and they and they they tell me they've they've never seen that side of their their own mother. And that's where my mother that was the gift that she gave me during that period, her last three years. Wow. Um she showed, she shared stories of me of when when she fell in love with my dad. You know they had not been together for many years. She remarried and and uh, and and you know and moved on, but she would tell me all of these stories about uh, these those times that uh, those times before there was me or my brother, and just about her being a a young woman and uh, a teenager and and the kind of things that she loved and things that she would get into and things that she just really wanted to do with her life, but didn't get a chance to do that. And I think uh, when she did pass, that had a lot to do with me going into music full time. I felt I owed that, not just to myself, but I owed that to her, you know, because she wanted to be a singer. She wanted to go out and sing for millions of people, she would say. I just want to go out and just sing for millions of people. So, yeah, I felt it was, uh, I felt more connected to her 
when she went to that other realm, she, it's almost like she just moved in. She just moved in me, just moved right in. The new album, Healing Time, and in thinking about the concept of healing time, growing up, you've talked about being able to slowly develop your musicality in the church setting. And it seems like you're someone who took that lesson of taking your time seriously. We were just talking about New York, spending time developing your songwriting under the banner of Atlantic as another example. And on this new album, you say there's always time for healing if you give it time. Can you talk about how you are someone who takes the time to get it right and how you learned that lesson? That's an everyday lesson. I'm reminded of that every every day. I have certain things that I do as my morning routine that are about taking care of myself, eating well, you know, just, just basic things. And then I have a, a morning work routine that revolve around taking care of things that I want to Basically, being on my own schedule for at least an hour and a half, sometimes two hours before I allow myself to be on someone else's schedule, before I even look at email. Mm. I think that's really important stuff. I have routines, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of keep me, keep me checked in so I can, I can uh, uh, continue to be true to, to myself first mm-hmm. before... Uh, going out there and giving myself to millions of people, you know, giving myself to, (laughs) before giving myself away, you know, because that's what we do as musicians, right? We're giving so much of ourselves. We're givers. Mm. And uh, being the oldest of uh, three kids, I'm, I'm a giver. I was, I was taught to, to look after my siblings. And uh, that goes well into that, that that folds into my music too. I'm, I feel like I'm nurturing when I'm when I'm on stage. It's not just about singing. It's about this mm-hmm. is my gift. This is this is what I, you know, look, ma, look what I made, and uh, it's it's just so cool. I know, I know I got away from your question, but it's just so cool to. <laughs> it's a, just a great feeling to walk off the stage and know that you left. You you came, you brought it, and you left it there. You know. Right. Okay, let's talk about organization. Um, (laughs) You spent the pandemic pulling out some cassette tapes and CDs that had partially done songs, basically a bunch of unfinished Ruthie Foster songs. Mm -hmm. Can you set the scene for what that looked like and how organized you are in your archival system? I'm surprised how organized I am, but yeah, I am. I had to All right. be, you know, uh, because there's a lot of, uh, I'm looking around because I, there's a lot that I, I don't finish. You know, as artists, as creatives, we, we come up with ideas and may not have time to finish a song or an idea. You know, it's just sometimes I have pieces of paper that are lying around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just about going into my, I have a closet here that I keep all of my cassette tapes from when I was in New York and writing there to uh, a few CDs, but I also have a couple of uh, music software programs that I have ideas that are sitting on, uh, sitting in Cubase, 
You know, I go back and forth between different programs, Logic Pro, and I have ideas that are sitting there. But for the most part, and I'm looking at a, a Tascam four track player in front of me now, and I keep that out because I, I'm still pulling out cassette tapes and just listening to ideas that uh, some finished, some not finished, most not finished. Mm. And that was really what that time was about, just pulling out even albums that I hadn't listened to in a while, which is probably why I went more soul in this uh, with Healing Time with the new album. Mm. Your just, albums or others' albums? Uh, albums? Others, yeah, other people. Yeah. Yeah, had some Al Green, some, lots of Marvin Gaye and Peebles. Um, even some jazz. I have some Carmen McRae because I got a chance to see Carmen McRae perform when I lived in Charleston. Cool. I never passed up an opportunity to see jazz grades. Carmen McRae, I saw Ella Fitzgerald at Radio City Music Hall. We went without electricity to go see Ella, to get tickets for that. And I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> who did it? Uh, Dizzy Gillespie, got a chance to see him when I was in the, in the Navy in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't miss an opportunity to see jazz greats because that's that's something you don't... That, that didn't come every day. Um, yeah, I just pulled out a bunch of cassettes and listened to as much as I, I could stand of myself <laughs> and then uh, pulled out a couple of tunes that I thought had some potential and then called up a, a few friends of mine, Grace Pettis, wonderful singer-songwriter. She was so good. Oh, Ridiculous. Does she know how good she is? I don't know if she knows. No, I don't think so. I don't think she knows. I'll work no. on that with her. <laughs> She's still young, you know, coming into her own. But man, she writes. She writes beautifully. So she helped me out with some tunes on this album. Uh, Gary Nicholson, we actually wrote one from scratch together. Yeah, it was just about pulling out whatever I had because I just didn't feel like I was ready to start writing from scratch, even though I did a, yeah. a couple on this album, on Healing Time. You really brought your band in, and you call them your band family, yeah. to collaborate on these songs. And everyone in your band is a writer. Everyone in your band is a producer. Yep. What was it like to have all those cooks in the kitchen? And what did you learn about collaboration from this experience? Oh, it's very peaceful in the kitchen, cooking songs together. Oh, yeah. These guys are great. I think a lot of it is because they all have life experience with women to know to get out of the way when she speaks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so kidding. These guys are just so super cool and laid back and so talented. I'm a huge fan of each and every one of them, um, which is why it's, it's tough when we do our shows now because, you know, they're all over this album with their own songs and songs we co-wrote together. I just, I just want to stand there and just beam like a big sister, you know, and, uh, and talk about their albums because they all have albums that have come out in the last year or two and uh, mm -hmm. uh, some working on albums that will be out uh, as soon as next March. So, yeah, huge fan. It was, it was just great getting a chance to work together and actually mm -hmm. get a chance to write together. That was huge for us. We had never done that. You know, we've come up with ideas for shows together, but never just from scratch. It was huge. Mm -hmm. 
Can you describe the vibe and the energy when you brought everyone together to work on the song? So everybody is back together for writing sessions, Mm -hmm. being in the same room after so many months of isolation. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, (laughs) having that much time away from each other. I called a, a, a Zoom meeting first, first to tell them that we had just uh, had, we just got an offer to perform for Austin City Limits, the TV show. And, uh, and it was going to be filmed without an audience that year. This was 21, I guess it was, yeah. And, uh, and I just remember the look on their, their faces. It was almost like they didn't believe it. They were just waiting you know, you know, waiting for the punchline. And then after a while, oh, oh, you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, serious, man. We're doing Austin City Limits. And um, so I flew them down uh, early, a couple of days early, so we could just sit and, and maybe get some songs together, do some writing, because I, I knew I wanted to put this project together while we were all in the same room, at least in the same city. And it was, yeah, it was very different. It was, you know, everybody's being careful not to get too close at first. <laughs> um, we were in my, my girlfriend's house in Austin. She's got this wonderful piano in her her great room, the, the front room. So Scotty on the keyboard and Hatton, Hatton Sayers is uh, on guitar. And, and I'm just sitting in a corner taking up space, honestly. They did most <laughs> of the writing. I was just holding up a couch, you know. <laughs> and I pet the dog, make sure the dog's fed. And I was cooking. I was, you know, basically looking after my stew. So, yeah, it was kind of weird how we, we, we ended up like six, seven, eight feet away from each other. And by the end of that night, you know, we're all over each other. Ah, have some more stew, have some more wine. <laughs> you know, it started out kind of, you know, uh, being very careful around each other. And then yeah. we realized we're family, you know. One one of us gets it. We all get it. Yeah. Right. Right. Like we were we were good. Uh, Mark Howard, who helped you out with the production on this record. Yeah. He brought in a very special microphone um, that had been used to record people like Frank Sinatra and Etta James. And you called it a very expensive and beautiful mic that was so sensitive to sing through. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you describe what it was like to sing into that mic and how it changed your approach to singing and if anything stuck in that approach? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that thing was so sensitive. I forget what it was. Something 44. I don't, yeah, I should know this. But um, it came in its own special case. And, yeah, I was just scared to touch it, get anywhere (laughs) close to it. But, man, it sounded like, butter. It was just one of those instruments that you just, ugh, it needs its own seat on an airplane. That's for (laughs) sure. In first class, which he did fly first class. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's a whole nother story. Uh, Yeah, it was great to get a chance to uh, experience that and to be able to tell that story. It just makes a great story to tell, too. Yeah, it's one of the few mics that they let go. Well, he got it from uh, uh, Columbia. I guess Columbia Records there in, uh, in Los Angeles. That's where it was from, That uh, one of the recording studios there. The house that Nat built. Wow. Oh, it was the Capitol? K- 
Capitol or Columbia, one of them. Yeah, beautiful microphone. Mark Howard was awesome to work with. He pushed me, and I hadn't been pushed like that in a while. And uh, in ways where he would turn a song around, basically turn it upside down. And I'm used to doing that myself, but have somebody come at me as a producer and, uh, and want me to do something, basically turn the song from one genre to a totally different genre. That was really different um, to have that happen on the spot. I'm fine with it happening, but it was basically right before I'm getting ready to sing. And he'd say, you know, I think we'll make this a ballad. <laughs> you, know, you know, it was one of those. So it was, it was great. What did that do to your brain when he would make a decision like that? Oh, that's... Were you like, see, yeah, sounds great. Or, that's when I get the, you said the bees, the, the humming thing. Yeah, that's when... Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the bees mm, inside. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening? Just go with it. It'll be fine. You know, yeah, it was one of those things. You, you don't fight it, just go with it. And we, we've hmm. we got some great, uh, definitely got some great tracks from that. Um, about the aesthetic of the album cover, beautiful uh, album cover. Thank the you. The outfit that you're wearing on the cover and also some um, outfits that you've worn r- live recently. So when I, a white lady, saw them, um, I thought of Stevie Wonder, Talking Book, Aretha, Young, Gifted, and Black, Amazing Grace, and also like a more chic version of a gospel singer robe. But I'd like to hear it from you. Can you talk about your look on the album cover and the intentionality behind it? Oh, wow. Completely my photographer. That was really her idea. Uh, Jody Domingue, and well, she's one of them. Uh, Daniel Wen is another photographer for some of those photos, but she's uh, she's she's the person behind those uh, outfits, and uh, yeah, they're very comfortable. I'll say that much. Incredibly yeah. comfortable. They look comfortable, but also you look hot on the oh, album so it's cover. okay that does come yeah i was yeah. trying my best not to look too to have it not look too much like a mumu which it is but <laughs> it's just an upscale no mumu. no way yeah. um very striking yeah. thank you thank you yeah we worked very hard on that that took a lot of people to get me to look like that but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had a team uh yeah touring is gonna get real expensive yeah uh, I just uh, I just had a wedding and I also had a team. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. It takes a team. It takes team. a lot. It takes yeah. a team, especially yeah, for yeah. weddings. Yeah, you don't want to do that on your own. Way, no. way too much going on. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, Jody's idea, and I just kind of went with it. And uh, the ladies, background vocals, uh, Cherie Smith, uh, Miss Tamara Mack. And uh, my cousin, Angela, Angela Miller from the Pumas. She's a background singer with singer with the Black Pumas too. Oh, right on. Yeah. So yeah, we all we all uh, jump into our uh, captains and uh, and dance it out. Yeah, it's just fun. It's fun to dance in. And I wanted I wanted this uh, I wanted this music to say something different. I wanted to say something different, stylish stylistically too 
more feminine, you know, something that appeals to any and everybody uh, visually. And uh, yeah. that's that's kind of what this this does. And yeah, and, and it is a throwback to Stevie Wonder and one of my favorite albums of Aretha's Amazing Grace and what mm. she's wearing in that. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Comes across, definitely. Oh, good. Um, before I let you go, will you do the lightning round with me? Okay. All right. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Ruthie Foster, what is a song that makes you cry every time? Amazing Grace. Oh. What is your favorite scented candle? Uh, Winter Forest. Ooh, good one. What color is your soul? Depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> what is it right now? It's it's purple today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wearing a lot of purple. Yeah. Tracks. Um, <laughs> what is one song you wish you had written? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go way out here, and I'm going to say Last Chance Texaco mm. by, you know who that's Last by? A Texas singer-songwriter named, do you Probably. know who it's by? <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's it's on the Chucky's in Love album that, uh, oh. oh, my God, I just had a brain for it. Ricky Lee Jones? Ricky Lee Jones, yeah. Ricky Lee Jones wrote this tune. I've been listening to this album nonstop because I love the production of the album and it's something about that song that I just love what an underrated musician Ricky Lee Jones absolutely I yeah I totally agree uh what is the best gas station delicacy <laughs> tacos <laughs> well maybe if you're in Austin Texas yeah. they've got good tacos at the gas station like they've got good croissants at the gas station in Germany Oh, yes, they do. You're right. <laughs> um, this is the last question. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? I'm going to say Whistler, but it wasn't the city. It was, I, I took a, a hike up to, uh, not a hike, one of those uh, ski whatchamadoodles. Um, I took that up to the top, and I had a moment up there. It was just beautiful. Ooh. Yeah. That's cool. Cool answer. Ruthie Foster, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations on the new album. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. You can find all of the episodes of Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can look up Basic Folk on the SiriusXM app wherever you get podcasts, or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>